Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. Well rested. Uh, good weekend. I started playing a little bit. This is how I know I'm in the offseason. I played a little bit of video games this weekend. Wow. Look oh, at wow, you. Wow, that's right. I played uh, because I... This is what happens when you're in your 30s and you don't play the new game that just came out. So a new Zelda game came out and I played, I started playing the last Zelda game that's on the Switch called Breath <laughs> of the Wild because I'm six years late. That's what happens when you play this, but it's great because it's a single player game. I've been lost in Hyrule right now and I'm wondering, I'm just, that's why I'm in such a good mood. Just really enjoying my late night Zelda uh, sessions that I'm having as my son falls asleep. I'm so incredibly happy for you. That's uh, a very deep May conversation that we're having, even <laughs> though the show is running in June. You know, we talked about this. We're going to do some shows while I'm on my honeymoon. This is one of them. Very excited yes. to run back a favorite idea of ours yeah. here at the Athletic Football Show. This OG is idea. the Hall of Very Good, the class of 2023. For you guys who do not know, the Hall of Very Good is a place where we celebrate players that don't quite clear the bar to get into the actual Hall of Fame, but we still feel like should be acknowledged, remembered, just remembering some guys in yeah. a very fun way. So we're doing that again. You know, this is there's no hard and fast rules here. The way that I've always done it is if the player has not been a Hall of Fame semifinalist, they are eligible for the Hall of Very Good. I remember you with a couple of guys thought that if they were on the all decade team, they were not eligible. Joey Porter was one of those guys for you. Yeah. You're just like, oh, you know what? If you're on the all decade team, like you can't be in the Hall of Very Good. You should probably be a nominee for Canton Court, which we also are going to do yes, this offseason, which is where we argue for a couple guys that we feel like should be in the Hall of Fame. Before we even get started today, I'm going to acknowledge a couple of mine may be on the line. A couple of mine may be a little I've bit won. too close to too good, but we can acknowledge that as we yeah. move through. I think we have four each this year. I'm curious if we have any of the same ones. We've never done that before, but that's what we got. We got eight guys, and we're going to hash out why they belong in the Hall of Very Good. Why don't you kick us off? Yeah. Should we rattle off who we named last year? Let's Just do it. Like, okay. I, I Last year, I had Ricky Waters, uh, Sean Rogers, Chris McAllister, and Joe Horn. Uh, Joe I was, Horn. That was a fun one to talk about with Joe Horn. That was one. He kind of gets lost in those kind of early, mid-2000s. You know, J.C. Horn's now coming around. But those early 2000s receiver runs, especially with the celebrations, he was the other one. Yeah. And he had, a, he had a good career, a fun career. But yeah, Joe Horn was a fun one to talk about last year. Last year, I had Antoine Winfield, which nice. was... 
probably the first guy I should have thought of when we did this exercise. I, I love Antoine Winfield. Antoine Winfield uh, Sr. It is funny how many of these guys now have kids in the NFL. Uh, the first it, year we did it, I had, uh, I had Patrick Sertan yeah. Sr. <laughs> or the first. <laughs> I had Navarro Bowman last year. Yes, that was a good one. He was one. fantastic for a few seasons. Obviously, injuries really derailed his career. Dante yeah. Culpepper, same sort of idea. Uh, just unbelievably uh, entertaining. Don't have to sell you heart. on that one. You're after my and heart then right now. one of my favorite players of all time. Even when I was young and I was still, he came into the league, I think, pretty much when I was finishing up high school football. I want to okay. say it might have been his rookie year or maybe his last year at Louisville as I go back and think about it. Yeah, so his his last, his rookie season was like right after I finished playing was okay. Elvis Dumerville. Oh. And I just loved Elvis Dumerville because I was also a 5'11 pass rusher. So all the stuff that Elvis Dumerville could do, I was like, I appreciate you so much. Like this undersized <laughs> guy who was consistently one of the best pass rushers in so the NFL productive. year in and year out, even though he was 5'11. And you know, this is a guy who only went to five Pro Bowls. He's never yeah. been uh, a Hall of Fame fi- semifinalist. So he just, just squeaked in for me just on the line of too good, I think. So those are the types of guys that we're Such talking about one. here. What do you got for me? Okay, I'm going to start – Oh, I got some like kind of like unique figures, which I think is very fun that, for this that's exercise. Important. That is it important. Is. It's a huge part of the consideration process. Have to be distinct. Have to be distinct. And I'm going to start with one of my favorite running backs of all time, Brian Westbrook. And actually, it's amazing. I was so close to putting him on there. I did not have him. When I was okay. going back through, what I've done is just to kind of – cold list a little bit yeah. is I'll go back through like total uh, approximate value from like 2000 to 2012. I like that. And I'll skip the first hundred guys and then I'll go into like the second and third tier and I saw Brian Westbrook's name and I was like, ooh, I'm going to file that one away because that's uh, potentially a really good one. I actually thought he made more Pro Bowls. So by memory, that's what I remember. He only made two. Only made two, which makes sense if you look kind of at his stats. One first team all pro, which was a, re- a remarkable season. 2000, uh, I think it was in 2007. I'm trying to remember off the top of my brain. I want to say it was 2004. They went to the Super Bowl. I know. Now I'm like mixing up the two years. I should have this. I do have notes, but not the exact years. But he did have a great year where he had a 90 catch season, 2,000 yards from scrimmage. He made first team All Pro that year. Oh, 2007 actually. It was right. His only other Pro Bowl was 2004. That's what I'm remembering. Which was also a good year. Uh, A complete three down running back that is. Kind of one of my favorite types of players in in, in football. Mualde Moore, I bring up all the time, is another type of one of these players. But if anyone that's never watched Brian Westbrook, some of some of you Gen Zers, uh, just think of Austin Eckler, but maybe even a little better. Uh, but he is just just an just so good, just such a good pass catcher, good runner with balance, and he was a great returner. One of the few, uh, one one of the few players ever in NFL history to have a season with two rushing touchdowns, two receiving touchdowns, and two return touchdowns, all in the same season. What I um, love about what you're saying right now is that when I think of Brian Westbrook, he's one of the first guys. Like if someone were to ask me, this has been a mailbag question before: Who was built in the wrong era? Oh. Like who came along ten years before he should have come along to kind of settle into the best possible version of that player? And Brian Westbrook is like a perfect example. Yes. If Brian Westbrook played now, he would be one of the best running backs in the league every period. single year. Period. Period. Him and uh, Peter Work. Those uh, is yeah. your receiver. Yeah, but yeah, those yeah. those are two guys that like I'm like God. You were born ten years later. You'd be all put Peter Work in the slot. Let him go to work. Oh, just yeah. go. It's, oh. Watch Peter, Peter Warkow, it's from Florida State, or some of the most fun ever. That you'll he's just ever a little watch. undersized. And that's you, it. And when you and were it. a little undersized at receiver in 2000, you know, that was Can't a huge deal. 
and not on a creative offense or forward thinking offense at the time. It was really like you could go to three teams that would unlock you at the time. But anyways, back to Brian Westbrook. But if you just think of just a monster on choice routes, on angle routes, this is he was so good that Andy Reid saw uh, CEH playing college. I was like, that's like 60% of Brian Westbrook. I'm going to draft him in the first <laughs> round because that's how much fun Brian Westbrook, yeah. Brian Westbrook was. But just a fantastic three-down running back, great pass catcher, one of the best pass-catching running backs of all time, but also had great vision. Um, Third-round pick, like that, just made a nice career for himself. I know Eagles fans love him. He was kind of a classic, too, when I was a kid because, uh, especially being in the NFC and competing against the Eagles and everything, I was – Brian Westbrook was one of those classic, he's so underrated that he kind of became rated properly. Yeah, yeah. It was everybody's favorite underrated guy. And then he became but kind of properly still, rated. man, I mean, still, that no one brings him the, up anymore. That team went to the Super Bowl in 2004. Okay. Yeah. They were eighth in the NFL in scoring. He was the second most important skill position player they had after T.O. Like he after was their second best receiver yep. on those teams. And those offenses were pretty darn good. Yeah. And my other thing about Brian Westbrook is the kind of this aura of the Andy Reid screen game. Mm-hmm. And why Andy Reid's screen games, are, the, the design of it is so yeah. good. The memories of that start with Brian Westbrook. Like it goes, starts with Brian Westbrook and then eventually creeps into some of those Chiefs running backs early yeah. on because they had to live through that because they had a, rec- a season where their wide receiver didn't catch a touchdown pass yeah. and they were still really good. But so Brian Westbrook Charles. is like the first kind of moments of just That's appreciating Andy Reid in that way. Watch his highlights. It's hilarious. It's just there's so much DNA that you watch now where Jerick McKinnon is catching some of these balls yeah. now, you know, and then now it's it's the same plays just now out of the shotgun or a little more spready. Same exact plays, though. It's really, really fun player. And I wanted to start off with him because I actually thought his accolades would be more. And then looking at it, I'm like, no, this is perfect for this show because he had for about a five, six year period, everyone that watched football at that time, in the early two thousands remembers Brian Westbrook as just this unique type of player, pass catcher, and just really, really good at it as well as being a dynamic returner and a, a, apparently a great teammate as well. I know all of his teammates liked him as well. So I think he's a, very, it was one of the easiest nominations I've had for the show. I can't believe it took me three years to get to Brian Westbrook. He, he's, a per, he's a perfect one. Okay. So yeah. I also have a running back and I'm afraid he's too good. But I, I want to throw him out anyway because he's been retired for 15, 16 years. Okay. I don't think he's going to sniff the Hall of Fame, and it's for a very specific reason. Is Priest Holmes too good for the Hall of Very Good? Okay. So I had him, and then I took him off because I was like, I was going to ask you the same thing. I'm fine with him on this because the stint was so short where he was, it at, was the, at He the has peak. three, three all pros, right? okay? Yes. But he only has three Pro Bowls. Yes. Like he only had those three years of peak, peak production. And, and it was we've seen guys do this, right? Like yeah. Terrell Davis is in the Hall of yes. Fame. But yes. Terrell Davis won an MVP award. Yep. Terrell Davis won a Super Bowl, two, two Super Bowls, of two Offensive Player of the Year awards. Like Terrell Davis's peak was even higher than Priest yeah. Holmes's peak. So I think that Brian Dave, Brian, Terrell Davis has threaded the needle so perfectly to get in. I don't think Priest Holmes ever will. Yeah. So I think that's kind of why he's worth acknowledging here he's he's like the all-time fantasy football champ yes like that's a, that's more like what priest holmes is remembered for is those amazing seasons with the chiefs o-line I, I mean just he's such a good player i'm glad he brought him up so guys that if you guys are a little bit younger and you do not remember priest holmes when nate says he was the fantasy football champion because if you had priest holmes on your team you automatically won in 2002 priest holmes had 1600 rushing yards and 21 rushing touchdowns 
He also added three receiving touchdowns and 672 receiving yards on 72 catches to those r- rushing numbers. Okay. Oh, sorry. What did he have? Like nine yards a catch? Like, was it- yeah. Nine, he, he, for his career, he averaged 8.7. But those, it, when he got to Kansas City, we're talking receptions here. Yeah. 9.9, 9.6, 9.3, 9.8, 9.4. That's ridiculous. As a receiver. He, That's ridiculous. I was rewatching highlights today. He could really catch the ball. Yeah. And he, he could be a vertical receiver. There are yeah. plays in Baltimore where he was running so wheel explosive. routes. He was really explosive. And which yeah. is funny because his 40 time and his testing numbers are not good. Like it, this guy was same, undrafted. Same with Brian Westbrook. He ran a four, five, eight or like a four, five, nine. And when you watch it, you kind of see he doesn't have that fifth gear, but it's like one to four though. Do, 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 do. Like just to get there. Sorry, but yeah, that was that was a Priest Holmes that ran to a four seven three forty at the combine. <laughs> really? Okay. Yes, four God. seven three forty at the combine. If I just guessed and just watched him, I'd say four four eight. Like ultimate just, guy, just play speed. Okay. Yeah. And so if you, and then you look at further down the line in Kansas City, he had that year where he had twenty seven rushing touchdowns in two thousand three. When and so, during this stretch, the Chiefs' offense was essentially the best offense in football. And yep. this was when Peyton Manning was near, like near the peak of his powers. That's how good these Chiefs' offenses were with him, Tony Gonzalez, Al Saunders, Trent Green, and that offensive line full of line. Hall of Fame players. Yeah. And so. You had that. He had 48 rushing touchdowns over a two-year stretch. He had about 1,500 or 4,500 rushing yards over a three-year stretch. And every single one of those years, 2001, 2002, 2003, he had at least 2,100 yards from scrimmage all three of those seasons. Okay, which is insane. And part of me, and one of the reasons I was like, God, does she should he be on here? Is that that Chiefs offensive line was so good. Mm -hmm. So I started to look back at his numbers when he was in Baltimore. Because he spent the first four years of his career in Baltimore. And he, he was a very old rookie. So it was 24 through 27. And if you look at his stats in Baltimore, it actually makes the Chiefs and their GM at the time, Carl Peterson, going to get him even more impressive because mm-hmm. the numbers were there. If you look at some of the underlying stats he had in Baltimore, in 1999, he was second in DYAR with, among running backs with less than 100 carries. He was seventh in rushing DVOA among all running backs in 2000. He was more efficient than Jamal Lewis the year that they yeah. Ravens took Jamal Lewis in the top five. So there were some underlying metrics that showed he was a really good player. The Chiefs signed him to a deal as a 28-year-old formerly undrafted rookie who had never rushed for more than like 1,000 yards in a season. And the first year, they paid him $448,000 in base salary. <laughs> He rushed for 1,500 yards and 2,169 yards from scrimmage that year. So it's just a perfect kind of combination of this guy's underutilized. He has a very real skill set. If we drop him in with this offensive line and this group, what can he do? And the result is one of the best three-year stretches in the history of the NFL for any running back. It's it's like him and uh, Michael Turner, like they kind of had that same where yeah. they backups yep. and they get signed and they. But Michael explode. Turner signed to a huge deal, huge though. deal. We all because he was Michael showing. Turner. We all knew it was like, yeah. oh man, as soon as he gets out from LT Shadow, gonna like, he's going to be incredible. Yeah. But that wasn't the case with Priest Holmes. He kind of came no. out of nowhere and then had this unbelievable run. So the only reason that I think Priest Holmes might not deserve inclusion here is that he could be too good. But Priest Holmes retired in 2007, and I don't think he's ever going to make the Hall of Fame. No. It's anyone that watched, like you said, it was just a, it was a quick blip. It was a three-year stretch where it was just, oh my god, he went gangbusters, and you never heard from him again. I, I that makes so much more sense now when you said he was an older rookie now, because because the drop off makes more sense. Like now he didn't have that kind of you know 
going into the twilight part of his career. It was like peak done. Uh, but well, was he got home? hurt too. He had like serious yes. injuries as well. They ran up, and then they had uh, Larry Johnson, I think, as well after that. Yeah. They but the those Chiefs teams because I pulled up the stat at the end of the year this year. And I was talking about the Eagles' offensive line and their run. Their run game was so incredible. It was the fifth highest rush success rate in the past twenty years, so since two thousand two. And so I just pulled that stat up. So it's not including two thousand one. But the top two rush success teams were the 2003 Chiefs and the 2004 Chiefs, where they they were running their rushing success rate was at 50 percent in 2004. That means half the time they ran the ball. Most 40 percent is good. They were 50 percent. That's what like Mahomes Mahomes I think was at 52 percent throwing the ball. So they were just as successful running the ball in 2003 2004 as like Mahomes or Josh Allen or any top offensive quarterback was this year. It's just ridiculous what they're doing on the ground. Sometimes it's like, oh man, this guy got 300 carries a year. Was he a plotter? Is he just kind of accumulating those stats? They led their league in rushing DVOA every single year, 2001 through 2004, every single year. Those old lines, man, were monsters. The old lines are great, but he was so good at making yeah. guys miss. He had incredible feet and way more explosion than you thought. I mean, there's so many moments where he's got one guy that he has to make miss, and he does in the open field. Mm-hmm. It was just, again, kind of a, a perfect synchronicity of running back skill set, running back availability, and one of the best offensive lines we've ever seen. And it led to one of the best running games we've ever seen. It's love it when a plan comes together. It's it's so nice. It's football can be very pretty when you get a lot of good players together at the right time. All right, uh, so even though he might be too good, I, I'm, I I'm nominating it. Priest Holmes. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that one because I it was another name I looked at as well. Um, I'm breaking my own rule because I am nominating someone on the All Decade team, but the position makes it a little more palatable. Palatable. <laughs> um, so I'm going with Lorenzo Neal, fullback. Uh, for this is, like this is so perfect. This is five, so on brand. I love a, it so much. I don't have him, okay. but this is a perfect inclusion. 500 million teams he played for, but just the epitome of the late 90s, early 2000s fullbacks. Really, actually, past the early 2000s, or almost to 2010. He played till 2008. But really, he blocked for what we're talking about, LT and Michael Turner with the Chargers. That's how I remember him. But he also the other – sorry, Lorenzo Neal, for anyone does doesn't know, is just the fullback's fullback. Like, he wore number 41. He'd even wear a neck roll, which I – in my brain, in he my absolu- memory – He absolutely did. I thought all the pictures I pulled up of him, I could have sworn. He 100% wore a neck I thought roll. so, too. And then I pulled up a number or a picture of him. He didn't have one with the Chargers. I'm like, I thought you had a neck roll my whole life. He does, right? Are yes. you pulling up pictures right 100%. now? 100%. The first okay, picture I pulled you. up, he does. And I it's burned into my brain. Yeah, that's what I thought. Neck roll. I remember I him having one with the Bucks. I think because Lorenzo Neal wore a okay. neck roll. That's what it blew my mind this morning when I was pulling this up. And I was like, wait, I thought I pulled up a picture of him. I'm like, because I wanted to make sure he wore 41. That's why I remembered him. And then I'm like, you didn't wear a neck roll? It must have been practice or something. But anyways. <laughs> I'm looking but, at a picture of him in the neck roll in the Pro Bowl uniform, which is just really funny. It's the idea of wearing, uh, wearing a neck roll to the Pro Bowls. <laughs> but just a classic fullback there was no really you know catching the ball was definitely like the third highest priority on his list uh just a dominant blocker a hammerhead um you see him wearing number 41 you go yeah it makes sense you were number 41 uh just one of my favorite clips possible is he played one year with the 1998 bucks and he's lead blocking for mike allstott it's lorenzo neal at 260 pound fullback blocking for mike allstott in the eye formation it's like Football, fo- football's football. It's like 500, that, 500 pounds of backfield. It's amazing. It, it, it reminded me of in 2010 with Wisconsin, we had, you know, pretty damn good offense. And our, our, we had a jumbo package where we had Ryan Groy, who bounced around the league. He was our fullback. 
We had uh, Bill Nagy, who's our sixth offensive lineman at tight end. We had J.J. Watt at the other tight end. And at running back, we had John Clay, who weighed 270 pounds at the time. So we just had a lot of beef. Uh, but that's what that reminded me of. Wisconsin but, bullshit. Oh, ever. yeah. Oh, watch it against UNLV. It felt, you feel bad for the Rebels. Uh, but Lorenzo Neal, two first-team All-Pros, one second-team All-Pro, four Pro Bowls. He was on the 2000s All-Decade team, but because he's a fullback, he's a I kind of make totally an exception. I'm making an exception for him. But Mike Allstott's in this group. He was I nominated him the first year. Let's get the other guy. Let's get Lorenzo Neal. Um, just the most pure uncut football you ever see is that 1998 Bucks team with those two in the backfield with Warwick Dunn as well. But dominant blocker. I almost included Warwick Dunn on mine. I picked Priest Holmes over Warwick Dunn. Warwick Dunn was on my like short list here. I like that. But I love yeah. those Bucks teams. I, I They're great. love those Bucks teams. I, I've said this before. At the time, I've I didn't. To it before. Now I love them. <laughs> I even in my Bears fandom growing up, when those Bucks teams in like the late '90s, early 2000s, I had a brief like three to four year dalliance with them. And this is before they won. Like okay. I, it was after they changed the uniforms. Mike Allstott was from Joliet, and so yeah. he, they had like a Chicago area guy who was a yeah. star for them. The defenses were incredible. They had yeah. to rebrand. And I just, for whatever reason, I fell in love with those Bucks teams. And I rooted for them like very hard for like three to four years. This is also like Dick Jerron, Bear Zero. It's like I don't have any interest in this. <laughs> I'm going to be like, bringing up a Dick Jerron, Bear Zero team in a minute so, <laughs> with the was, next guy. It was po- <laughs> you know, post the Cade McNown pick. And I'm like, this is oh, awful. And then yeah. Lovey got there in 2004 and they started yeah. playing a brand of football. I was like, all right, I can absolutely get behind this. Yeah. That was right when they drafted Peanut Tillman and Tommy Harris and kind of really revamped what that team was. And I really loved those Bears teams and kind of got course corrected and got back on track. But there was a stretch where I just loved those Bucks teams and it worked done was definitely part of them. And then obviously Lorenzo Neal for a moment as well. Yeah, the, the uh, makes sense too that you're like, you watch the those when Lovey came in, the Bears and those types of players, you're like, hey, this this seems familiar. Yeah. Oh, well, it's cover two, Tampa two. Like even like if you didn't recognize yeah. it, you did recognize yeah. it at the time. Yeah. Uh oh man. Those at the time I hated those box teams because they were part of the NFC Central. And then once the North and the South got made in two thousand two Really like the Bucks a lot more after that. Like that was okay to appreciate them then, especially once they got Brad Johnson there. And then I was like, oh yeah, Brad's there. We're good. We're good. But uh, yeah, those old NFC Central battles, those defenses were incredible. But I'm bringing up the fullback, who really what I remember most is when he was with the Chargers. Oh, of blocking course, for, blocking for LT and Michael Turner and just those loaded Chargers teams. Because that I'm like I say it again, this is just the way to to, to frame Lorenzo Neal. Is just he's the fullback's fullback. Just the classic hammerhead, and I, yeah, I, I, I like this nomination. I, I, of course, it's my own, but I just like feels it's, like, it feels it's, pro- it's perfect. It's it a feels proper. It feels proper to, to I, nominate I love it him so in here. so much. Yeah. All right. Here's a guy. My next one is that is someone I've, I've talked a lot about in the last year or so, and thought about in the last year or so because he was kind of a prominent figure when I was doing that story about slot receivers. And mm-hmm. my next one is Marcus Colston. Okay. <laughs> nice. Do you know that Marcus Colston never made the Pro Bowl? I thought he made one. He didn't Zero make any. Pro Bowls. Wow. Marcus Colston never went to the Pro Bowl. Here's why that's amazing. From 2006 to 2015, which is Marcus Colston's 10-year career, he was ninth among all receivers in receiving yards. Here are the guys ahead of him on that list. Calvin Johnson, Andre Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Brandon Marshall, Roddy White, Reggie Wayne, Steve Smith, and Quam Bolden. Good list. I think at least eight of those, I think seven of those eight guys, in my opinion, are probably Hall of Famers. Maybe six. Calvin Johnson yeah. already is. I think yeah. Andre Johnson deserves to be in. Yeah. Andre Johnson on a per game level 
Go look at the quarterbacks that Andre Johnson played with for most of his career. Yeah. He was an unbelievable player. His, yeah. his like he was total, incredible. His total career, his career totals are probably going to keep him out, especially as there's the glut yeah. at receiver. But game in, game out, and what yeah. he did on a per game basis with that quarterback play, Andre Johnson was unbelievable. That's who Kyle Shanahan uses for X receiver teach tape is Andre Johnson. That's who he uses because he thinks that's the epitome of an X receiver. And I agree. He was he's, unbelievable. He's amazing. He's amazing. He's top three pick and like was every bit of that top three. And he pick had kind of a position. trademark with a little the little nose strike. Yeah. 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 Like, yep. Yeah, that he no. Andre Johnson was a damn good player. And I'm I'm kind of sad already because he is already starting to get forgotten. A little oh, but bit. wait till we do camp. Wait till we do camp court. Okay, I'm, fine. I'm, I'm ready. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm so ready. I'll the, bang I, the drums the whole the, time as the you're Schwartz talking about it. Commando gif. I'm I'm busting it out for my Andre Johnson argument. I'm so ready. Good. Okay. Larry, if Larry Fitzgerald absolutely is, I think Brandon oh, Marshall yeah. is probably there's a conversation to be had. Roddy White, probably not. Reggie yeah. Wayne, I think we're going through it right now. I think yeah. Steve Smith and Anquan Bolden are both Hall of Famers. Rule of cool applies. Like I, both of those guys, <laughs> yeah. like their yeah. aesthetic and who they were, and just remembering them, I think yeah. they both get in. So Marcus Colson is the next guy on that list. He never made the Pro Bowl. Yeah, which yeah, is just incredible. And there's a lot of reasons that I think Marcus Colston belongs on this list. The first of which is the production, right? I mean, he was yeah. so good year in and year out. The second of which is that he kind of revolutionized or helped revolutionize like what we understand from that position. Marcus Colston came in as a rookie, a seventh round rookie. And this is another, he has a memorable moment too, because every single fantasy league that you played in in 2006, Marcus Colson was eligible as a tight end. Yes. So, and he, he was won. a hack. So the two guys that won you your fantasy league in 2006, which was my freshman year of college, so fantasy football was very important, was Marcus Colson being able to play tight end and LT. Because yeah. that was the year where LaDainian Thomas scored like 30 touchdowns. Okay? Yeah, broke the league. So Marcus Colston comes in. He was drafted as a tight end wide receiver because he was 220 pounds and six foot Seventh five. rounder. Seventh, Seventh round pick. From Hofstra, whose football program no longer exists. That's right. He was a six foot five, three hundred two hundred thirty pound slot receiver. He came in and played 900 snaps as a rookie and played half of them in the slot after coming from Hofstra. You know how hard that is? It's incredibly hard. To to be able to sense coverage and be able to take advantage of zone, and teams are playing a lot of zone against the mm-hmm. Saints a little bit later. This is a little bit later on when the Saints started becoming super, super pass happy. Because if you look at those early Saints teams, like right when Peyton got there, they ran the ball a bunch yep. because they heavy, were just built on action. that. Yep. And then they started to throw it a lot more in like 08, 09. And he was this seam stretcher against all of the soft cover two that they were playing against. So having this guy with all this length in the slot was kind of a huge piece of what created those Saints passing games. And it wouldn't really have been possible without him. So now you have Michael Thomas playing that big slot role as like the next guy in line for them. So he just created this archetype of player within one of the most memorable offensive systems of the last like 15 or 20 years. And he never made the Pro Bowl. (laughs) I I never knew that. I swore he made one. That's crazy to me. God. And and, and you know what's funny? You know who who Colson's replacement was in that Saints offense was Jimmy Graham. So yeah. put that put that in your brain. Like people that want to picture what they were asked to do, he was getting asked to do the same things Jimmy Graham ended up being asked to do, even though they play technically different positions. So that just speaks to their play styles, I guess. He played 50, 60 or six, 50 to sixty percent of his snaps in the slot, essentially every single year. In two thousand twelve, he was third in the NFL in slot snaps, 
And he played like between 800 and 900 snaps every Man, single he's, season. He's kind of like a pioneer though, like a weird way. Yeah. Yeah, and then Larry Fitzgerald, like yeah, and like, Larry Fitzgerald even came to that later. Larry later. Fitzgerald, it was when, when Bruce Arians, Arians got there. there. Yeah, and that was probably what Bruce Arians got there in 2013. Well, 13. So that's yeah, 13. almost a decade. That's a decade into Larry Fitzgerald's career. Marcus yeah. Colson, it was from day one. He was wow, doing that's... that. And you go shout back out and Marcus Colson, Marcus Colson, shout out like that. That's yeah, that's a good one. You look at the you look at Marcus Colson highlights. He's every bit of that length. And it's just uh, the way that they can attack the field because of he, he was so good at like option routes against tight ends because yep. he's just qu- just enough of a quickness advantage over those players and the length advantage that he had over nickel corners and even safeties because yep. of how big he was. They utilized it all the time. Yep. So just a really good player for a really long time. And I think he kind of like epitomizes it. the type of guy that we're searching for in this exercise. He had six 1,000-yard seasons, which yeah. is just a remarkable – and two more 900-yard seasons. That's a, just a good career. Solid yeah, I, every single year. Every just year. Every single year. 80 catches, give or take, 80 to 90. You know, that his – what my, my kind of headcanon memories of him are him catching seam balls, like just yep. what you're talking about. That's how I remember him. Catching seams with a big body, like you said, against zone. At the time, I didn't know football like that. So, like, now kind of my new knowledge, I should say, watch it re- – re-remembering him that makes a lot of sense about what type of player he was great player a lot of fun and that's why uh i I know sean payton just loves that type of guy just because of what you're saying because it's so effective if you have a guy like that sean payton loves his seam seam stretchers or seam bender guys and he likes his choice route runners those are like the two guys he like needs in his offense and colson was one of them (laughs) that's the type of guy he likes Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Who's your next one? Oh, uh, another kind of a unique player. And this is why I'm bringing up the 2001 Bears and Dick Duran is Ted Washington. No, Mount Washington. 
Bring it up. It is I'm really the funny. We, we both have gigantic defensive tackles on our list, and we both had a running back, which is great. That's great. Because the, we got to think about what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> what type yes. of, that's the type of football getting yes, played. It's so true. It's so true. It, um, man, Mount Washington is uh, one of the most literally like one of the most impressive human beings, physical specimens I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he was listed 6'5, 375 pounds. But at the combine, he only weighed 306. So he put on some put on some mass in the league. I thought he came into the league way heavier. No, 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 no. He was he he put on that weight throughout his time in the league, but just the epitome of a nineties nose tackle. Uh that type of player actually was decent rushing the passer. I mean, yeah, like three, four sacks a year, but just the classic nose plugger in a three four defense. Um bounced around a lot of teams. He was kind of a gun for hire through most of his career. Because he was or, just so best. useful. The fact, even deep into his 30s, everyone was just like, oh, yeah, come on. We'll, come do, on a year. we'll do a year or two. Oh, we'll feel good about that. The Patriots that. brought him in for a year. He played awesome. And then they just like, okay, see ya. Yeah. Thanks for the rental. That He's why I've started comparing like nose tackles to like closers in baseball just for that type of reason. Like they just... Hey, just bring him in for a year or yeah. two years, and then okay, ship him out. We're good. No, you know, thanks for thanks for what you brought to us. Playing 119 consecutive games, which is just that's absurd. incredible for a man that big. That's unbelievable. The, uh, the and the what he has to do and just the beating he has to take. I'm sure he was doing more of the beating, but still. But he is that 2001 when he was on the Bears, and I think he was like 33 years old. At he, the was. Time. he was. He was. God, first team. He was okay. All his accolades. He was a first team All Pro, which was that year. One time a second team all pro and an overall four time pro bowler. So, you know, that's kind of like a perfect cutoff. Um, but he is just, that's what I remember is him seeing him because I was a ball boy at 12 years old and the Bears played the Vikings in the Metrodome. And I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's, that's the biggest human being I've ever seen. And that, and that's with Brian McKinney in his rookie year. Oh no, he came to the next year, uh, coming to the next year, but it was just, it's just incredible. I can't get over the size of him even to this day, but just a classic nose tackle and that Bears team. I remember they came out of nowhere. They should have been bad. Oh they were God. bad the year before. They, bad they, the they, year weren't after. Even, they weren't good that year. That, that was the craziest football season I've ever been a part of or could ever oh, remember. Thirteen in, to three. in back-to-back weeks, they had walk-off interception returns for touchdowns in overtime. Yes, that's it, right. It, it was so, insane. Jim, I couldn't even remember the quarterback, Jim Miller. It's Jim Miller. Uh, who I now remember. And Jim Miller that year, I just had to look this up. He threw for 20, uh, 2,300 yards, essentially, one yard less than that. <laughs> 13 touchdowns and 10 picks. <laughs> threw for 57% completion percentage. Had a passer rating of 75, 74.9. And the Bears went 13-3 and three that year. <laughs> if you want to talk about how much football has changed, it's uh, remarkable looking at some of those old passing stats. But yeah, going with Mount Washington, I'm glad. I'm excited to hear what nose tackle you had because there's a couple I was sifting through. But I had Ted Washington on my short list last year, and I want to throw him into throw him into the discussion this year. The, the, that Bears defense was very good that year, but the offense Ridiculous. Was, was not very yeah. good. But yeah. that was the year where that was Urlacher's second was season, second year. And, okay, yeah, I can't remember so if it was a rookie year or second year. Okay. Yeah, so he was rookie in 2000, and then his second season was 2001, and that was the year it was just like holy shit. Yeah, like, we're we're watching something here. Yeah, he, he had three picks, six sacks, nine TFLs that year, and eight passes defensed as a middle linebacker. Like that was the year where it was like yeah. this is just a different sort of player yeah. than we've yeah. really seen at yeah. the position. Like him being or, able to cover all the ground that he specimen. could. Yeah, he's he was a top. Four. He was top ten pick. I mean, he he yeah. was insane. He was a college safety that yeah. was six four and weighed two hundred and fifty pounds and could and, fly. And just I mean, when you think about guys running down the post in cover two in Tampa two, a guy at that size being able to do it at six four two sixty as a def, as deftly as he could was insane. 
And that was and a being one of the smartest players on the field. Just just all time freak. Just, he was incredible. Yeah. I mean, obviously he that was. he walked into the Hall of Fame as he should have. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and then a guy I actually his name came up when I was thinking about this from that two thousand one Bears team. Remember how good Roosevelt Colvin was? Roosevelt Colvin was? <laughs> yeah. Roosevelt Colvin had like three or four years as that pass rushing wow. linebacker where he was so good. Yeah. He had, t- he had ten and a half sacks for that two thousand one. What number did he wear? Fifty nine. Yep, fifty nine. Yep. yep, yep. I remember. Him. I remember. Don't even need to look yeah. at it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. See, that's see, that's for me. Is like as a coach's kid. There's some guys I knew by name, and then some I just knew by number. Yeah. And then years later, I learned their names, and that's one right there. <laughs> R.W. McCorders was uh, one of the yeah. corners on that team. That was in the pre-Peanut Tillman era. So I I have several nose tackles. I wanted to ask you before I dig into the nose tackle that I picked. Couple guys that are on the line that I was thinking about, and I want to know. I want to get a ruling: too good or not? Casey Hampton, too good? No, I think that's kind of proper for this. What about Jamal Williams from the Chargers? Too good? I don't think so. What What were his accolades? He only had like three or four Pro Bowls, and he had, yeah, he had two first team All All Pros, three Pro Bowls. Oh, uh, that, that's perfect for this discussion then. All right, that's... so we got a lot of stacked up guys then because okay. those two and Chris <laughs> Jenkins are. I think are very. That's who much I thought you were going to say was Chris Jenkins. I thought you were going to say Chris Jenkins. So, so I, I did not. Okay. The guy that I threw on here is John Henderson. Yeah. Okay. Love it. For those of you guys who are unfamiliar, Slap with, me. with John Henderson. <laughs> John Henderson was drafted by the Jaguars in 2002. Okay. He uh, was a first round pick. He was a top ten pick. Yeah. The reason that John Henderson was a top ten pick as a defensive tackle. Is that John Henderson was six foot seven and weighed about three hundred and fifty pounds. Mm-hmm. He move. He was a, just unbelievable movement skills for a huge man. He ran a four eight seven, insane, <laughs> like like truly insane. <laughs> so as a just a player, like his profile, he and he was a really good player in the NFL for a long time as a top ten pick. But there are several other reasons he's on here. One, those mid two thousands Jags teams oh. just cool. Yeah, they they that was when they went to the all black uniforms every once mm-hmm. in a while, and I remember them in some of those primetime games. Like David Garrard was a fun quarterback. Yeah, they had those defenses with Marcus Stroud and Mike Peterson uh, was was yeah. was their off an off ball linebacker on those teams. He was really fun. And the other guy was Rasheen Mathis. Mm-hmm. Rasheen Mathis was excellent, and so that those teams were just fun to watch. And John Anderson was just this massive mountain of a man in the middle of those defenses, which were ten, top 10 pretty much every single year for that stretch in the mid early to mid two thousands. But the thing that sticks with me, and if you guys have never seen this, I, I implore you to go look it up. They had a trainer slap him in the face before every single game. And there's video of this. You can easily watch. He's a six foot seven, three hundred and fifty pound man, and the trainer is slapping him in the face as hard as he can as in the locker can. room before the game starts to psych him up. It would be it's terrifying. It is. It's absolutely terrifying. And so it he's is. just such a memorable figure from that time. And Marcus Stroud, who was the guy who played next to him at defensive tackle, was also an awesome player. So yep. they had these two guys that played next to each other who were just these Really stout defensive tackles in this era of football. But John Henderson, just because of the size and the frame, in 2004, he had five and a half sacks as a 350-pound, six-foot-seven nose tackle. Like, the guy could just play, and he's also uh, burned into my brain. He played in college with uh, Albert Hainsworth. So can you That's imagine right. those right. two together Tennessee. at Tennessee? Yeah. And then but the thing is, like, him and Marcus Stroud, Stroud's 6'6". 
320. So you had 6'7 and 6'6 next to each other at defensive tackle. It was absurd. I, I, uh, cause my dad was, my dad got to Jacksonville in 06. And so that was my exposure to him. And then I'm there. I was in the locker room for a game in 06. I really wanted to say, God, who they draft. I, I can't remember who they played, but I at the game and then saw the, the slap, the John Henderson slap, because I was sitting in the training room because that's where I could hang out because I couldn't be in the exact locker room. And I remember being like, what the fuck did I just watch? Like, I remember saying something like that. That's really dad, scarring like, for a young child. Dude, I was 17, so I wasn't like a baby. <laughs> you know? I guess it's true. <laughs> but it was. That's when I was also a big moment. So I was a senior in high school and going like, I'm about to go to college and play college football. And I'm like, that, and I've been around football my whole life. And I'm like, oh my God, these are the guys you play against. Like this is a little different in Minnesota. You know, Kevin Williams is a little quiet. He was to himself. This is a way different, way different animal in the South. Uh, but no, it's, that's a, those defensive tackles, those defenses were amazing. Uh, those Jaguars teams were awesome. Like I, I'm glad you brought up David Garrard. I have some great memories of those teams when they beat the Steelers at Pittsburgh. And then I, I believed so deeply that they were going to beat the Patriots that year in the playoffs in 07. Uh, yeah. I was like, this is it. I hated then, those. I hated that Patriots team. I, I don't too. know why. I just hated that Patriots team. And in my mind, I was like, the Jags are going to win. I, I've probably told the story before on the podcast, but that Jag Steelers game was the night before I left for London to go study abroad. Okay. It was my sophomore year of college. That makes sense. Yeah. So I had to find a place to watch the Jags Patriots game. And the bar, the little sports bar, the little like local pub in Harrow, I was in London. They kept it open. It was the the bartenders happened to love American football, okay. so they closed the shades and kept it open like way later than they should have. And we got to watch the game, and I was just convinced. I was like, this Jags team is going to beat the Patriots. And okay. Tom Brady went twenty one of his first twenty two in that game. <laughs> I was going to say, did he complete like twenty in a row? I was yes. at a bowling alley watching that with my friends. I, I didn't bowl. I just watched the whole game the whole time. And then it just one after another, just picking them apart. Just one after another. Didn't blitz them at all. Just no. They're going to run zone every play. And he was just 10, 12, 14, 10, 12, I was eight. convinced. Oh, I know. Those Jags. Because after they beat the Steelers, I was like, they're yep. going to do this. Like this yep. Jag, I just, I, whatever reason, I really like that team. And John Henderson was a huge part of it. Another one. And the second guy that I, the last guy I have also fits this. Really drawn to guys, really gravitate toward guys in this exercise. That when I would start like a Madden franchise in mm-hmm. like 2004 and did like a fantasy draft where you could just pick the right the players that you wanted, these guys always ended up on my team. Like John Henderson was on every single one of my Madden franchise teams when I was building a team. Every single I like one. That. I like that. That that was my Jonathan Ogden. <laughs> I always had Ogden on my teams because he was like the 99 left yeah. tackle every single time. I always had him. No, that that's great. I'm glad you brought him up because that was that's a perfect player for this exercise. It's just a couple Pro Bowls, iconic. You remember him, and now he has the slap. He has the slap heard around the world. You're gonna remember it every every year, every time it pulls up. I'm like, yeah, there's a slap. I saw it in person though, and it's 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 pretty. Uh, it will be burned into your brain too. You don't even need the video. All right. You got one more, man. This is one I really wanted to name last year, and I think I even said it. And this is Peter Bolware uh, for the Ravens. It's a great uh, one. Defensive rookie of the year, one-time second-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, kind of perfect cutoff. Only played nine seasons because he battled some injuries at the end of his career, and but just the dominant pass rusher on some of the most dominant defenses I'll ever see in my lifetime. Those early 2000s Ravens teams, you know, they were loaded. Chris McAllister, Rod Woodson, Sam Adams, Goose, Ray Lewis, Jamie Sharper, Adelius Thomas. I mean, they just had 
they're loaded. And Bolower was the pass rusher. Like that was how I remembered him on those teams. They had the corner, they had Woodson, the the aging safety, and, and just the beef up front as well. And Ray Lewis, of course. And then that was the guy on third down that was getting the sacks. And that's how I remember him. He was just that classic at the time, the off, uh, outside linebacker pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but we they're all merged together now. But he was that epitome of that type in those three four attacking three four defenses. He was the designated pass rusher type. Um, really, really good player. Had a like I said, had enough accolades. Had a fifteen sack season. Had just enough of that where Terrell Suggs ended up be, being his successor. I wish that he stayed healthy and those two played together because it would probably just, they played together very briefly. I want to say one healthy year together. Uh, but I really wish I could have seen more of that. But a guy that I'll remember to this day, I think the Ravens honored his number recently, um, deservedly so. Wish his career was a little bit longer, but a guy that will always be in my memory as one of the most feared pass rushers at that time. Um, but just kind of got overshadowed by even more talented teammates. This exercise is very good for this type of player. The guy who was really good on an iconic team that isn't going to get Hall of Fame recognition like some of his teammates did. When we did this last year, Lindsey brought up Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor is like perfect. And I almost, when I was thinking about guys to put on this, I had like two or three more Seattle guys from that stretch. Like Brandon Meebane. You know, yeah. guys like that or like Chris Clemens, you know, yeah. these guys that were these role players, like secondary players on teams just loaded with Hall of Famers. I could do three more guys from the 2006 Bears defense if I wanted to. <laughs> I know, right? It like Tom, I, I'm very close to putting Tommy Harris on one of these lists one year. Like Tommy Harris was a really was good incredible. defensive tackle. Again, yeah. he was a first round pick. Like it's not should come out of nowhere. He was an awesome player. But- like top three defensive tackle in the league like yeah. uh, for at least a two-year stretch. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, I would just want to talk about like, Bullware stats. Like I'm just even looking them up right now. These are his sack totals every year. 11 and a half, 8 and a half, 10, 7, 15, 7, 8 and a half. And then he got hurt and then it kind of tapered off right there. He had one more year where he only got two and a half sacks. But it was just – that's what he was. Just you know you're getting 10 sack a year out of this guy and a Pro Bowl t- caliber type of year out of this guy and just bringing the heat. And he would get TFLs as well. Um, just one – I wish – He's a guy, too, I wish I could watch him now um, because he did more than just those sack totals. Like a pressure, His pressure rates would have been absurd. And that's that's how I remember him because he was just such a feisty type of defender. But I, I like what you're saying, though. These guys are maybe like the fifth beetle on some of these on yeah. some of these loaded defenses. These are the type of guys for this exercise or on offense as well. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. My suggestion here, and I think he's just gotten into the eligibility period. I don't think he's ever going to sniff the Hall of Fame, but just somebody who was a good player for a long time and had some peaks that were really memorable for me. I'm doing Carson Palmer. Nice. That's good. Carson Palmer went to three Pro Bowls. You know, Carson Palmer had a very strange career. Very strange. He's one of these guys that when you talk to coaches – or personnel people about the position and about kind of this ideal of what you look for. Yes. Young Carson Palmer is was what quarterbacks were supposed to be. The prototype. You know, he was the number one overall pick, but he was so much better of an athlete than yep. people remember him being because he had the knee injury. And I think that kind of changed the way that he played deeper into his career. But early on, he could really move. And those, you know, Saint, those Bengals teams in 2004, 2005, they had a lot of talent. You know, if he doesn't mm-hmm. hurt his knee that year in the playoffs, like I think a lot of Bengals fans will do the, you know, what might have happened. They've got some bad ones with that. Andy Dalton hurting his thumb against the Steelers, I think, That's in 2015 right. as well. I think they could have really done some damage. But the reason that I had Carson Palmer on there is that late career Carson Palmer, after he went to Arizona, was the leader of some of my surprisingly favorite offenses I've ever watched in my entire life. That 2015 season was actually really fun for some kind of random offenses. And the three that I remember are the Panthers, right, Mm -hmm. with the Cam Cam MVP season, the Cardinals – and then the Steelers that year is when they really fully transitioned into this, like, we're just airing the shit out of the ball. Mm-hmm. Like, we are just slinging it around. Everything you remember about what we used to be, that is gone. And we're splitting both- out the running back and we're, yeah, Bell's running slants. Yeah, yeah. They, and they uh, push I, the ball down the field. Yes. Like, yeah. that was the year where they just got really, really vertical with what their offense looked like. In 2014, too, that was like the, the shift in when yep, it happened. It was, yep. But those three offenses that year, and I, I legit thought that Carson Palmer during stretches of that 2015 season like played at an MVP level mm-hmm. in that Bruce Arians offense. And it was a reminder of what his just pure talent throwing the football could look like in that sort of vertical offense. And so he's just one of those guys that, again, was a starting quarterback in the league for 10 years, 15 years, had some really, really great peaks, will never go to the Hall of Fame, made three Pro Bowls, but was a very good player for pretty long stretches of his career and is worth remembering in something like this. One of the prettiest throwers of the football ever. 100%. Just mechanics, everything. USC quarterback. <laughs> like There's just so much about him that is just picturesque uh, when you watch him. I mean, I think, what is he, 6'5"? Yep. Yeah, like 6'5", 230. Yeah, just like what you picture those quarterbacks. I'm glad you brought up that he was a decent athlete. I remember him in college. 
I want to say the Orange Bowl. I really do. Orange it was, it was the Orange Bowl. They played Iowa. Iowa. Yep. Yes. Remember, Iowa Matt, quarterback remember, was Brad Brad some banks, something I, like that. I think that might have been right. What I remember yeah. from that game is Matt Roth. Remember Matt Roth was the defensive yeah. end from Iowa, and he sacked Carson Palmer on like the first drive and did the Heisman post in that's the right. Orange in the Orange Bowl. I, I remember right. that vividly. That, I know that. Yeah, because that's when like my football memories were really starting to become crystallized that's like well i remember a lot more of that i was really into who got all the votes to like who won the jim thorpe award you know i was really into all that stuff ncaa video games really had a did a number on me but if you just looked at carson palmer did have a weird ass career if you just look at it all laid out um because he was a 25 year old well 25 year old first year player yeah i know because he he sat out the year he was older and then he obviously gets hurt early in his career with Cincinnati, but then they come back and he has some decent years. And then there's the falling out with the Bengals organization. He gets traded to the Raiders. The Raiders trade is an absolute disaster. Essentially gets Hugh Jackson fired because he traded multiple first round picks to go get him. Then he's available on the scrap heap. The Cardinals go get him for absolutely nothing. And he kind of, settles into this beautiful version of himself because he's playing in this fuck it who cares offense and it's exactly what he should have been doing the offense that needs you to needs you needs you to be big tough with a big arm at quarterback and it was like oh this is great it was yeah again we're talking about like idealistic player with idealistic scenario but 2006 he made a pro bowl at 27 years old the next probably made was 2015 yeah at, at 36 years old that's just it's such a you know, Rich Gannon's another one that kind of had that type of career, but he didn't have as much early success as Palmer did. So um, I, I love that you brought him up. 8.7 yards per attempt in 2015 and that, that offense. 76.4 QBR, which is absurd. That team uh, was really fun to watch. It was and that really was, fun. Larry Fitzgerald was in the back half of his career at that point, but that was John Brown was a mm-hmm. field stretcher for them. You know, David Floyd. Johnson was early in his career. Michael Floyd was there. It was just a really fun offense to watch. It, it was uh, one of my favorite kind of retroactive studies that I did two summers ago. I was watching about five games of that offense because it was just like, it, it's just, they didn't dress up too much. They just, <laughs> they just snapped the ball and launched it. And it was awesome. At you run game, at you pass game. And sometimes just like, it's great when it's just execution and better players is it can be really, really fun to watch. And that was like the epitome of that, especially with Palmer and that offense. Good, good nomination. I have a, I had a different quarterback one, but I might save him for next year. If, well, if well, I, we, we got plenty more guys. I got a lot of <laughs> nose tackles that are eligible that I didn't think might be eligible. So I got a lot of guys I can dig back into next year. All right. <laughs> that's great. This is great. Uh, that's all we got. Yeah. I love doing this every year. It's always a blast. Uh, it it's just a great chance to remember some guys. It is a perfect thing to do in May and June. And appreciate you guys spending the time with us as we took a little trip down memory lane here. Yeah, guys, remember some dudes. So that, that, that's all this show needs to be, my friend. It is. All right. That is all we've got. Make sure to check out the other shows on the feed this week, including the Football GM. Appreciate you guys spending the time. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.